You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan. Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is a very special guest, Mike Belcher. He is the director of EdTech Innovation at a little company called HP you might have heard of before. Mike, I don't want to date ourselves here, but I think you and I have been talking about EdTech since uh, before there was Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us. Maybe like, just to get started, could just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, the work you do at HP and maybe a little bit about life uh, before the pandemic. Yeah, you bet. Thanks so much, Kevin. Uh, love this series, by the way. It's really terrific. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've known each other a long time. I think uh, at least all of my time at uh, HP and I've been here for 13 years and as we typically are focused on the future of technology and what it means for, for education, um, th this has caused us all to change, right? I typically was on the road 180 days a year, and uh, I've never been home more often <laughs> for the last 10 years <laughs> added together, right? Uh, I know. I keep saying I want someone to mix me, someone else to mix me a cocktail. <laughs> I'm sorry exactly. to do my own. <laughs> Absolutely. And so it, it is one of those things, right, that the, the world changes for everyone. And, uh, you know, as, as this transpired, it, it really has allowed us to kind of re refocus our efforts at HP um, to today and tomorrow right? <laughs> versus right. three to five years out as, as we typically have been. And, and honestly, I think it was probably a really good thing to kind of level set, look at where are their challenges, et cetera. And, and it gave us great cause to kind of do that, right? To take a step back, uh, start having conversations with our LEAs, with the State Departments of Ed about what do they really need in the midst of a crisis like this. Right, right. It's very much about taking the opportunity of this crisis, right, and, try, and trying to make the best of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so go uh, take us back to um, those days in March. We, we won't, we won't uh, focus on it completely during our conversation, but I just want to get a little context on, on what the pivot must have been for you uh, and, and the folks at HP when uh, people keep pointing at Pi Day as that, that dreaded day when <laughs> everyone said, take your laptops home and you may not come back. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So uh, I was on the road, right? We were planning for a couple of events. And uh, when we got the call of you need to get home and cancel all of your travel for the rest of the year, right? <laughs> HP, we were, we were really conservative and still are, right? Our approach at HP has been, you know, you, you take care of your people. And uh, I think we had a really good understanding of what this meant at a, at a very high level that this was not something that was going to be just a quick turnaround. And um, so we did that, right? And uh, scrambled back. And uh, as we started thinking through, my gosh, if this is, you know, if, if, if HP, <laughs> you know, we're a Fortune 50 company, right? It's been around 80 plus years is shutting down. There's no way our schools, there's no way other businesses are going to be able to do anything about this. So we had to come back and really start to ask ourselves, what are those things that are going to be important? And then how do we reach out to our our clients in both K-12 and high ed and figure out what do they need in this time of crisis? Yeah. So was it just basically a, a 
all men on deck sort of situation, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. Right. As we, we came back, um, we realized, boy, we've got a lot of time now that we aren't doing a lot of these events and, and programs and uh, started thinking through what is the best thing to do in a crisis. And, and typically when you don't know what the best thing to do, uh, we, we thought the best thing to do is reach out to our, our base, right? Reach out to our, our sales teams, our partners, and especially our clients, right? To find out what did they need? Where were their gaps? What were some of the challenges they, they, they were expecting uh, to, to face? And then help them provide resources to help fill those gaps. Yeah, it seemed that a lot of the conversations I've had about the spring is um, anything that involved just getting people connected was considered a success. Uh, didn't really talk about learning loss, didn't talk about uh, state testing, didn't talk about uh, literacy. It was about just kind of getting everybody together to at least um, have some sort of social emotional uh, connection, right? Absolutely. And I, and I think that's one of the kind of keys to this, right? Uh, being in a house full of uh, educators coming uh, from a point where I've been around education my entire life, right, with my, my family as well, uh, you realized immediately that this was going to have a huge impact, uh, social, emotional, on mental health, et, et cetera, right, as people are coming to grips with this. And uh, I think those those uh, LEAs and systems and institutions that focused on that, particularly, uh, you know, last spring, were probably ones that were better off, right? Focus on, let's make sure that the kids are all right. Let's make sure they have food, they have a roof over their head, all of that, right? Right. And uh, you mentioned before we uh, started recording the conversation uh, about that you, in fact, have been collecting content and, and talking with, with superintendents. Talk a little bit about that and maybe some of the innovations and uh, ideas that have sprung out uh, from some of your client base. Yeah, so we, we got a lot of questions about uh, interest in uh, curriculum and resources and supplemental tools, um, you know, because we're a printer company as well as PCs, right? We got questions around, oh, my God, where is their content, particularly for lower grade levels, right, <laughs> that is a parent, I'm trying to keep my kids busy so that I can work, right? Uh and so what, what were some of those resources, tools, et cetera, that would add value? And then we started compiling all of those. We then started getting questions, well, how do I teach virtual environment, right? Most of our teachers aren't well-versed. They aren't well-versed in utilizing the tools that we're all used to using in the, in the private sector, right? And then how do I use those for effective instruction? And so we, we just started compiling all that we could uh, in those spaces where they had gaps and then providing those resources out at uh, state level and then individually to uh, educators who were interested as well as uh, LEAs that, that, that had interest in that sort of content and having it all compiled and kind of curated. That's great. Talk a little bit about um, the summer months then. So, I mean, everyone kind of got their collective selves together in the spring, started to compile some of these resources. What sort of uh, transitions did you see amongst your uh, your districts? Yeah, I, I will say I think probably the most successful districts uh, that are you know in play right now and maybe not struggling as much as others uh, were probably the ones that put a big effort in the summer, right? And put the effort into compiling these, doing the right sorts of training, uh, and honestly, I think uh, some of the biggest challenge that I've seen is teachers having enough self-directed content and tools, right, that you can provide to uh, parents and students to, to, to actually leverage. I, I would say one of the biggest sort of aha moments for me 
um, and particularly about having some conversations with some superintendents. We actually host a, a series called American Reinventors, and it's just for superintendents, a closed door sort of round table so that we can help them think through these sort of struggles. And probably the biggest sort of takeaway that came out of that was how important economically our elementary schools are to be open as daycare for students, right? Absolutely. And that that sort of component, you have to weigh out um, as a superintendent. And you have to think through, my God, you know, if, if, if I don't open it, I don't have a place for those students to go, and particularly the most at-risk students, parents can't go back to work. <laughs> and that's a massive problem. And that's a, another aspect of this. I mean, you've been an advisor uh, for me a long time here. Uh, we would go to events and we'd wring our hands and talk about the concept of uh, digital equity uh, and, and the idea of every student having a device and, and access to the internet. And, you know, my, my kind of snide remark now is that all, all it took was a global pandemic to uh, for people to really try to respond to that beyond being just a concept, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sadly, yes, right? Um, and, and to realize that technology is an imperative, that internet access should almost be a right. right? It should be something that everyone has. And, and putting a light on that, I think, is one of these sort of, um, you know, silver linings inside of this cloud that, that, that we're all in right now, is that we all realize what a challenge this is and how much further back those students are going to fall if we don't get them access, right? And so that's some of the things we're really beginning to think through in the future. Well, and let's pivot towards the future. You know, I mean, before we we, we got on here, uh, you know, you had mentioned that you wanted to focus on what's going to happen when the, when the madness is over. And I think that that's really um, an important and positive outlook to to have, uh, and it, it kind of goes along with what we've just been talking about, taking that opportunity out of this madness. So give us a little breakdown on what HP and what your strategies are in terms of that forward-looking strategy. Absolutely, Kevin, and, and it is one of those things, right? Uh, I wanted to get back to the future as quickly as we could, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and, uh, and, and really, because you know those challenges are going to be there. We're going to have to face these things we have to every day. But if we don't start to set some time aside to think about the future and think about post-COVID pandemic, right, um, how much further back will we be as we start to re-spin back up again, right? And so um, some of the things that we're looking at that we think are going to be really important, um, you know, revolve around economics as well, right? And so uh, I think OECD just recently released that they expect unemployment in the U.S. to be somewhere between 16 and 17 percent by the end of the year, right? And there's so many variables, et cetera, that kind of wrap around that. But as we see, you know, maybe less focus on stimulus dollars going directly to families and that sort of thing as we, uh, we're already spending money we don't have, right? Yep. Uh, that, boy, that, that, that could be a, a, a very real possibility. Well, that's, you know, depression level sorts of unemployment, right? Yeah. And four times what we were just a few short months ago. And so you think about the budget loss that states will be faced with. We think about, uh, you know, potentially income lost for our schools, right? Whether that's locally uh, in state taxes and local taxes, et cetera. And so schools, I think, are going to get this um, push and pressure to start to think through, oh my gosh, where should we be investing? Um, and I think that's one of the, the, the kind of things that might be valuable to look at in the way that a private 
and an innovative private company might look at a challenge, right? Or might look at a crisis. You typically look at a crisis as that opportunity to invest in the right places, right? right. Not necessarily cut, right? Because I don't think anyone has ever cut their way to success, right? right. Long-term success. And so uh, th those are the kinds of things that we think are really important, particularly as we start to think through what's going to happen to all these unemployed workers and what are the implications for businesses that may never come back again, right? Industries that may never come back again. How do we start to aim programs and, and investment dollars in the right place? Right. How about more specifically um, when it comes to the technologies in districts, when we look at some of these hybrid models? Uh, my, my boys right now are in a, in a hybrid model. Um, we have some neighboring districts here are, who are still uh, fully, fully remote. Do you see any of this stuff sticking once we go back to air quotes normal? Yeah, you know, while it's hard to predict the future, particularly the way things are politically and, and economically in the U.S. right now, I, I can't imagine that this won't have implications as we go forward, that there won't be parents that for a very long time will not be comfortable in sending their students to a, a place that spreads this kind of problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> Particularly yeah. when there isn't a, a, a cure or a treatment or a, a vaccine to, to kind of stop that. So I think you're going to see this, again, challenge between uh, lower socioeconomic and um, not so, right? And what sort of luxury that provides those of us that, that can afford to keep our kids at home, right? And then what does that mean for the kids that, that don't have that access? I think the technologies, no matter what, I think everyone realizes now the PC or computing device is essential, right? It is an absolute essential. So again, another sort of value. Now it's what do we do with this to really improve instruction? And then what do we need to start to think about for the future, right? And that's the piece that I think um, we're going to have to do a lot of soul searching and diving uh, into thinking about what are those future careers? What are the technologies that will drive those future careers? And so to me, those are the things that uh, that truly are going to be important, right? Those those next generation technologies that will drive this next economy. And so that's where we're trying to put e uh, effort and emphasis. I've already seen a lot of uh, acceleration when it comes to the te technologies that surround video conferencing. I mean, just in, in the past several weeks, right? I mean, everyone's already suffering from Zoom fatigue, but then at the same time, you see some new cameras and you see some new um, platforms, which kind of make that less onerous, right? So something that, that might have taken five years and now it's taken five months. Absolutely. Think of the changes we've seen in Teams and Zoom and whatnot, right? I mean, they've just really kind of taken the bull by the horns and and have really remorphed their their models and, and honestly having to, right, Be, because of some of this. We're also seeing some kind of interesting technologies, right? One of the one of the ones that I think we're most interested in and long-term impact on education is extended realities, right? And the ability to give students experiences that you definitely can't do now, right? Because we can't travel and get to the different places. We can't get to our labs to do experiments, right? And so this ability for us to do research and more experiential learning, that's exactly what extended reality does. So we're seeing lots of growth and interest in, in that area in particular for education. Um, we had to give you an example. Oh, uh, 
three different colleges that I'm aware of who had already deployed uh, virtual reality headsets and high-performance devices inside of their colleges as virtual labs, right? And allowing their medical students to actually do virtual autopsies, right? And work on virtual cadavers and, and, and collaborate in those inside of the campus. Well, when this happened, those colleges sent all that equipment home with their med, med school students. They didn't miss a beat. Um, so they were back in doing their lab enabled sort of work. Now it's not the same as, you know, working on the cadaver that you have in your cadaver lab, but, uh, boy, you don't stop learning. You don't stop exploring. In fact, you know, instead of having the one cadaver we work on, I've got 4,000 different cadavers virtually that I right. can work on, right? So th there are, there are places where some of the technology we think are going to be really, really valuable. That's really interesting. Cause that, the, the, um, Augmented reality and virtual reality, you know, again, we've seen on the floors of ISTE and other places, and it's really cool, but my, my skeptical ed tech journalists would always be like, well, yeah, but why do you need to do this when you can just go there? And now there's a reason. <laughs> you can't Absolutely. go there. Absolutely. Well, and longer term, I think we'll see that that cost go down yeah. to where this becomes democratized, right? And that's one of the reasons we're in that sort of technology, driving that down. Interesting. Anything else in the higher ed space? That's something that uh, I've been I've been trying to figure out if they are coming up with solutions. I've seen a lot of universities that have um, learning their own learning centers that have now completely accelerated and are doing research on all these models. Uh, any other examples that you can you can think of off the top of your head? Yeah, maybe a couple. So uh, one that we think is an area of technology that we think is going to be driven down almost everywhere is around artificial intelligence, machine learning, and then really data science, right? Which is what that all kind of boils down into. And so, uh, you know, I, I did notice on a previous podcast, you actually had someone who's got some great curriculum in that space, right? That's an area that right now, I think I did an Indeed job search um, a couple days ago, there's like 35,000 data analysts, data scientists jobs available right now in wow. the US, right? Wow. Yeah. And we are not producing enough students in that space. So finding ways to attract students into those areas we think are really, really valuable. Um, we, we we're in discussions right now, and I sit on an advisory board for a school district in Georgia who's actually building a whole curriculum K through eight in a plan where this, this whole school system from pre-K through high school end up being focused on AI and aligning everything they do into AI, machine learning, data science, et cetera. Uh, th I think it's brilliant and it's it's uh, something that uh, if you're not thinking about, you, you, you better be thinking about. Yeah. And when you don't have the day-to-day the, the -day or this is the way we've always done it, um, you know, thrown in front of you, then, then you can do some kind of wild speculating like that, huh? You know what having that luxury with that school district does right now, right? Because they did a great job in planning for the traditional pandemic gives them the ability to start to invest that time here and and hopefully the community support to go, oh my God, this is brilliant, right? We, we, we should be doing this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the other funny thing that uh, from some of my other conversations where some of the more innovative school districts around the country are um, not happy about the pandemic, but just Again, once again, taking that opportunity to say, you know, this is what we've been agitating to do for for 10 years. You know, we wanted to have virtual snow days. We want to have 
parent-teacher video conferences. You know, we want to do these sort of things. The technology is there, but there was never any impetus to apply it because maybe it costs too much money or it's going to take too much time or we have other stuff to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's what seems to be the, um, the the most positive takeaway that we can get from all of this, right? Absolutely. You know, there, there is one other sort of tech area that I'll tell you, if I was 14 years old again, Kevin, this is where I would be all in. And if you would have asked me six, seven years ago, first of all, I wouldn't even know what it was, this technology. <laughs> but I wouldn't have known that this is where I'd have such a huge interest. But it's, it's really around manufacturing and additive manufacturing, right, which is really printing products, right? <laughs> which is uh, 3D printing products. And uh, this technology, oh my God, it's insane, right? And I think one of the things the pandemic has shown us is that our current model of making products where labor is the cheapest doesn't work so well, right? We're seeing that with technology right now. We saw it with PPE earlier. Um, this model, while it's very inexpensive, when there's supply chain issues, when there's this kind of interruption, my God, all bets are off, right? Uh, so this idea of what that means inside of schools for career and tech ed, how do we attract students into design? Because being able to to, to create a product from the ground up right, and build it from the ground up by printing it allows you to rethink almost everything we do, right? Whether that's building houses or how we design our products and every part that, that we build for them, right? Uh, we, we started off in this industry uh, with our first printers maybe three and a half years ago, but manufacturing level printers, we, we now print over 40 million parts a year with this technology and that will do nothing but grow at an exponential rate but it's going to require our schools to rethink how we design how do we do a project lead the way program how do we uh, create cad environments right that allow students to create at a certain level how do i in my career in tech ed uh, maybe build out my maker space and allow students to come up with great ideas and actually build them, right? And maybe they come up with ideas for businesses that they can prototype and go right into production locally, right? Uh, th these are the kinds of things that uh, our students have the opportunity uh, if we give them that opportunity, right? And we invest. Well, I knew the toughest part uh, of this conversation would be to stop it. We could go on for a while. <laughs> And we have, and we're not even in a, a you know a lobby bar somewhere in you know in Anaheim where we should have been this past <laughs> this past June, but I, I really appreciate your time, Mike, and uh, and again you, you've you've left me in a good mood. Uh, there's there's a lot of positives uh, going forward that I think our listeners can draw out of this. So uh, I appreciate you sharing them. Oh, th thank you, and thank you for for providing this series. I think there's so much great information. Really appreciate it. Always appreciate your insight and, and discussion as well. Well, there's about 35 of them down. I, I think we have at least 35 to go. So I might be uh, <laughs> hallelujah. I might be bugging you again in, in a couple months. Reach out anytime, my friend. Great, thanks, and thanks to the listeners for uh, listening to Remote Possibilities. I hope you click around and and find us again. 